Our passage of scripture this morning is Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Hey, good morning. And welcome to Trinity Community Church, especially if this is your first time. We are so glad you're with us, so glad that you can join us. First Sunday in the new space, off to a good start. We're so thankful that you are here. Yep, you can clap. We'll make that applause uh, retroactive to everybody who served yesterday, served this morning. There are a ton of people uh, that have been working hard to make all of this possible, so we are so thankful for you if that is you. Now, uh, I want to open with a story, and I have told this story, not here, but I've told it a couple times. And you're going to be tempted to say, no, 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 that's not true. That didn't really happen, but this is a true story. About 16 years ago, I saw Elvis Presley, alive and well. This is really true. So when I was in high school, my family moved uh, across town, and we moved directly across the street from Jerry Presley, who is like a Kansas City-level Celebrity. Jerry is the closest living relative to Elvis. Looks just like him. He's a little bit shorter, a little bit younger. But Jerry, I mean, to say that he's a character is an understatement. This guy is just a phenomenal human being. I mean, he does the hair like Elvis. He dresses like Elvis. Uh, He goes around and he'll like do Elvis impersonations and tell stories. You can like rent him out for your event. Uh, But by far, the most significant thing about Jerry Presley is that he will look you in the eye and tell you that he helped fake Elvis' death in 1977 and that Elvis is alive and well in Central America. In fact, he's doing great. He's better than ever. His health is sharp. And so across the street from us, we're building a relationship with Jerry Presley. And if you are tempted to say, that's did all that really happen? Uh, You can look online. The facts are all there. I mean, if it's online, then you know it's legitimate. There's all kinds of things. I mean, this is the most controversial death in the history of the world. But one night, I'm back home. It's college, college time. So I'm back home staying with my family. And I can't sleep at night, so I'm I'm downstairs kind of watching sports or whatever. And at 3 a.m., you know, I think I should probably go back up to bed. So I turn off the TV. House is totally dark. And I'm walking past the front windows of the house to go back upstairs, and a car is coming down the street. It is a light pink, massive Cadillac. And it pulls slowly down the street and turns right into Jerry's driveway. And so I'm like, boom, I hit the ground, crawl up to the window. I'm like peering through the blinds. And the car just sits there idle for a minute. And out the front door comes Jerry, big smile on his face, looks up and down the street. Then the driver's door opens, boot hits the ground, 
And out unfolds this, this large man with hair styled high, thick, thick sideburns. He's wearing a black suit. He looks just like Jerry, although a little bit older and a little bit taller. And so he unfolds his body out of the car and gives Jerry this big embrace. And then he turns and takes two silver briefcases out of the back seat of the car. Together they start to move towards the front door to go inside. And the tall man, he turns and he looks up and down the street. I mean, everything is dark. Everything's quiet. And as they move towards the front door, I realize that the the tall man's got a little bit of rhythm in his step. Clearly, this guy knows how to move. And so he stops, he turns back. I can see him face to face. And then he steps inside and disappears. The next morning, the the car was gone. I got up early just a couple hours later. The car is gone. and, And in fact, Jerry was gone for the whole week himself. He was out taking a trip with an old friend, his cousin, the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. Now, you'll be tempted to say, no way, that didn't happen. I get it. I understand it. But here's why I I share this story and why I share it today. Because if you experience something fantastic, something unbelievable, but you experience it and you witness it and you know what you saw, then you want to tell everybody. I mean, what do you think was the first thing I did after I had this experience? It was to to tell my parents and to tell my sister and to call Jesse and to call all my friends that morning and say, you won't believe who I saw. And to this day, I love telling the story. It's a great story. Now, this is, this is true of us as human beings. This is part of our wiring as human beings that if we witness something fantastic, we have to go and tell. We have to go and share it with other people. You can't witness something that powerful and then hold it within you. In fact, to the extent that something moves you within is, is typically the extent to which it, it moves you out to go and to tell that story. Same thing happens when a new baby is born, when you see a great movie. When something moves you, you are actually moved to go and tell other people. We've been talking about worship all summer long in this teaching series. And, and we're not just talking about the form of worship or why we do what we do, although we've covered a lot of those elements in the liturgy. But first and foremost, we want to ask of, of the Scriptures, what does it mean to be a true worshiper, a worshiper of the living God? Jesus says that God the Father is seeking worshipers in spirit and in truth. He is seeking each and every one of us to worship Him in fullness. And the reality is, when we become worshipers, we also become witnesses. When we gaze on the the beauty of God, when our one thing, as Psalm 27 says, when it becomes to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple, when that happens within us, we must go and, and share what we have seen. When we become a worshiper, we immediately become a witness as well. So three things I want to look at this morning from Psalm 67. First, that worship is the fuel of mission. Second, that worship is the goal of mission. And then third, that worship makes us witnesses. Let's start start with the first one. Worship as the, the fuel of missions. Now, last week, if you'll think back, if you were here to last Sunday at Trinity, you weren't physically here, but last Sunday we looked at the, the end of the worship gathering. 
in a traditional liturgy. It's called the blessing, the doxology and benediction together. And we looked at number six, which is the most well-known blessing in the Scriptures, where Aaron says over the people of Israel, may the Lord be gracious to you and bless you and make His face shine upon you. And this blessing is, is the means of, of us understanding and experiencing the affirmation of God, the anointing of God, and God's very own commitment to us as His people. And so it's interesting that Psalm 67 actually opens with that same exact blessing. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine on us so that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. And so if you catch that, in verse 1, we see this blessing that we looked at in detail last week. May God's face shine on us. And then right after that in verse 2, so that... People may know this God, may experience, may worship this God, that your salvation be known all the way to the ends of the, of the earth among all nations. And so last week we looked at the blessing of God, but this week we're looking at the, the so that. We're blessed so that we can go and share. We said at the end of last week that we are blessed to be a blessing. Blessed people bless people. Now, this message is about worship and mission, and so at the start, I want to describe what I mean by mission, and I include four things in my mind when I say mission. It includes personal evangelism, which is sharing our faith with other people. It includes church renewal and growth, churches being, being healthy and growing and multiplying to reach more people. It includes social renewal and bringing about equity and justice for people on earth. And then fourth, it means world missions, that churches send their members to, to far-off places where the gospel is not known. Now, these are four different aspects of what we call the Missio Dei, or the mission of God. It's, a, it's an all-inclusive and overwhelming vision for God's mission on earth. It's far more than personal evangelism, but it's not less than that, because God's redemptive plan is about more than our individual salvation. Certainly not less, but it's about more than that. As Ephesians 1 puts it, it's about the renewal of all things under Christ. And so later in the service or in the talk, we're going to look at evangelism more closely, but keep in mind that when I say missions, there's far more at hand than merely just evangelism. Let's go back to the text. Verse 3, may the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear Him. So the psalm writers are, are saying, may all peoples on earth be blessed. May they all receive this blessing that we, Israel, have received. May every tongue, tribe, and nation, every generation come to praise the living God. And yet, how will that happen? It'll happen by people sharing the blessing. It'll happen by Israel pouring forth a blessing. It'll happen through Jesus as we'll see, but it happens as we actually open our mouths and tell people about God. The most influential book on mission and evangelism in our generation opens like this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, mission 
will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Now, John Piper wrote these words in 1993, and he goes on to write that worship is both the, the fuel and the goal of missions. It's the fuel because it's what, what moves us out in mission. Worship of God and knowing the true and living God is what propels us forward to, to take risks, to share our faith, to go to hard places, to bind up the weary and broken. It's worship of God that actually moves us out in that way. But it's also the goal. In missions, we aim to bring the nations into the enjoyment of God's glory. And the, the goal of all of missions is that people would be singing the praises of God. John Sada, a New Testament scholar, has written that the highest of missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission, important as that is, nor love for sinners who are alienated from God and perishing, strong as that incentive is, especially when we consider the wrath of God, but rather the highest of missionary motives is zeal. Burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so I'll say again that the, the purpose of this series on worship is not merely about the form of worship and our expression of, of praise to God, but it's a way for us to get our hearts caught up in the glory and goodness of God. A way for us to, to set our gaze and our affection, our, our desires and our eyes and the eyes of our heart on the one true living God. And by doing this, to let Him change us from the inside out so that our motivations change and are more closely aligned with the Father's Himself. We want that expression from David to be true of us, that our one thing is to seek the presence of the Lord. When that happens, we're worshipers, but we're more than that, we're witnesses. May God be gracious to us so that Your ways may be known on the earth. Now that's the first thing, that worship is the fuel. The second thing is that worship is the goal of all of mission. When I was a pastor back in Louisville, one of the, the, the key kind of things that I did in my role, in fact, that the main objective of my role was, was community groups and, and pastoral care, and sort of the spiritual formation of the congregation was, was my role. It was a larger church, and so that's kind of where I was, was intently focused. I I had some role with the operations of the organization as well, but all of that taken together meant that my role was completely church-focused. Like it was, you know, the focus was inside the church, the people of the church, the operations of the church. It was a great role, but what happened over time was that all of my time and my mental energy and my relationships began to be totally wound up in the church. I loved serving the church. I felt like I was good at it. At the same time, we had three young boys we were trying to raise, and so that takes a little bit of energy. And so I got to a place where I realized that all of my energy, I mean, 24-7 was going to our children and to the church, which I loved. But what I realized is that I had gained God's heart for the church, but lost sight of His heart for the world, for the nations, for people who are far from God. I asked this question, has my spiritual depth my growth in spiritual life, has it made me more evangelistic? So for all of my growth in the Holy Spirit and in Christ, all of my time spent in the church, has it actually made me more evangelistic? And for me in that moment, the answer was no. I looked around my life and I really had no real relationships with people outside the faith, you know, in the actual city where I live. All of my time spent was with 
people in the church. Even the social stuff was just with church people. And I began to be convicted of this and began to, to wrestle with this and wonder how I got so far off. And then I, I came across the life and writings of a man named Jack Miller. I mentioned him before. He was a seminary professor. He passed away in the 80s. But he was an Old Testament professor that was spending all his time in, in the Bible and in teaching at this college. And then God did an incredible work in his heart. And did it all through just reading the Old Testament and teaching from it. But he began to be more outward focused and he began to be focused on his city and on the nations. And he actually quit his job to start planting churches and starting a missions organization through which just hundreds of thousands of people have been affected. But what he used to say is something that made so many things come together in my mind. He said, the same grace that's needed to change us is the grace that's needed to change the world. In other words, the grace that God pours into our lives and our hearts that builds us up from the inside, that's the exact same grace that we go and share with the world. So in a sense, I really wasn't that far off because my heart for the Lord and my heart for the church had grown so much, it just hadn't taken that final step of expressing itself outward in love for people far from Christ. God's heart for the world is so, so big. And His goal is to gather worshipers from, from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every generation, so that He might have an enormous family of children, sons and daughters that call on His name, seek His face, sing His praises, all of that. And all of this goes back to the very first promise in Genesis 12. Remember Abraham when he was out in the fields and God called to him? And under that, that starry night, God said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That same exact pattern. It's the pattern of mission from Genesis to Revelation. God blesses us and then through us blesses the whole world. We're blessed to be a blessing. Verse 4 of our passage again says, May the nations be glad and sing for joy so that all the ends of the earth will, will fear Him. And we look at that and we realize we are the nations. We are the ends of the earth. We are, are not ethnic Israel. We are you know, as far from ethnic Israel and geographic Israel as we could be, and yet the Gospel has reached us and now moves in us and through us to go back out to the world again. People are made into worshipers of the living God. God draws us in and then sends us out. He draws us in to know Him and then sends us out to make Him known. And the promises of Genesis 12, the promises of Psalm 67, they're actually being fulfilled in us right now. By gathering in this space, by planting a new church, by singing His praises, lifting our hands, responding to His Word, taking communion together, we are the ends of the earth. And this promise made to Abraham on the starry night thousands and thousands of years ago is being fulfilled in this very moment, in this very room, in each one of our hearts. 1 Thessalonians 3, Paul's pray, Paul prays for the churches, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And that's a, a sort of three-part pattern of mission that Paul is teaching. May your love increase for God and then overflow 
overflow for each other, that's one another in the church, and then to everyone else, and that's everybody in the world. So when our love for God increases, it overflows into love for the church, and then overflows even further into love for the whole world. All of our mission work, all of our evangelism, all of our work for renewal, it's all for something. It's for the worship of God. That people would be led out of darkness and into light, out of confusion and into truth, out of hurt and into healing. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I know sometimes you know, sermons about evangelism and mission can be a little bit awkward if you're outside the family, you know, it feels like they're, you know, are they talking about me? Are they, you know, is this all for me? But I hope at the same time you can be encouraged by this as well. And you can be encouraged if somebody brought you here today or if somebody's been sharing the good news of Christianity with you, however perfectly or imperfectly. Because hopefully that expresses their love and our love for you as well. I mean, what would it say about us as Christians if we felt that we had the truth of the universe and we had the one place of peace and joy and hope in the world and yet we didn't do anything to share that with you? And how, much, how little love would be inside of us if that was the case? And so if you're here and you're far from Christ or you don't believe in it, hopefully that's encouraging to know that we pray for you, we think about you, we try to identify with you and understand where you're at and what you think and how you operate so that we can better share this hope that we have with you. Hopefully it's encouraging that we actually like are scheming to figure out how we can share the gospel with you and have your life be impacted in the same way that our lives have been impacted as well. So worship is the fuel of missions. When we experience the blessing of God, we're sent to be a blessing. And it's the goal of missions that all of our human efforts are to bring people into a deep, intimate relationship with God through His Son. Now the last thing, the third thing, is how it works itself out in our lives. Worship makes us worshipers. So I've said that four things are involved in mission, and we try to take a, a holistic view of mission here. That the missio Dei, the mission of God, is, is more than mere evangelism, but it's never less than that. And one of my concerns as a church, especially as we're, we're young and tend to be kind of socially aware and connected, is that we can do all the other aspects of God's mission where we might be slow in actually sharing our faith. We, we believe and we love that the renewal of all things is coming under Christ, and yet we can still move so slowly when it comes to actually opening our mouths and talking about Jesus. For many of us, what we've seen and what we know is something like the four spiritual laws or evangelism explosion or one of the, the sort of programs that's been used without time. They're all incredibly faithful in their own ways, but for the most part, they operated in a different society that we live in now. They operated with the assumption that people are ready and hungry for a religious conversation in a way that we don't really experience anymore today. And so we, we have fears and we, we struggle to communicate our faith in a world that seems often so opposed to what we believe. So how do we move forward? How do we share the love of God in a way that actually connects with people? Well, first I want to keep in mind that we're talking about renewal-driven evangelism. Not guilt-driven, not duty-driven, not numbers or church-growth-driven evangelism, but rather evangelism that comes from a place of our own 
personal and spiritual renewal. Now, that's not to say that if you're not feeling absolutely on fire for God and for evangelism, you should wait to share your faith. But instead, that as we go, as we share our faith, God works renewal in us all along. Now, for me personally, I'd still, you know, my, my work has me very much focused on the church, focused on your growth and your formation in Christ. Most of my relationships are right here in this room. And yet I've, I've had to remind myself time and time again that, the, that this church exists not just to be a great place for us to come on Sunday and to meet new people and to enjoy good coffee, which, praise the Lord, it's back. But in an even greater sense, we exist for the people that aren't here. We exist because we love this city. It means so much to us. We love our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends, our family members, and we want them to experience the love of God the way we have. We exist for those who aren't here as much as we exist for each of us who is here. And so for me, I've had to go somewhat out of my way to build and maintain relationships with non-believers and non-church attenders, just as, as many of you have as well. It is one of the reasons that I often spend my mornings, about three or four mornings a week, biking, doing cycling with other guys on this bike team that I'm a part of. And so each and every morning we go out there super, super early, and you know we ride two by two, and so if I'm next to the other person, they're probably going to end up locked in a pretty deep conversation. In terms of the regular riders on our team, nobody else attends church, so it's this great opportunity. It's something that I love, that I want to do already, but it also gives me access to people in a, in a part of the city that I wouldn't have access to otherwise. And so as we're riding, I'm talking, and I'm listening, and I'm asking questions, and I'm always trying to go just a little bit deeper. It's not just like straight gospel as soon as we start pedaling, but just a little bit deeper and then kind of gauge their response. But it was so encouraging. A couple of weeks ago, one of the guys reached out to me and asked if I would, would meet with him. The guy I've been having you know, spiritual conversations with for several years, incredible young guy. I've invited him to church several times, and he's always, you know, been really thankful and interested, but hasn't come. But he reached out and he said, you know, if, what was clear was that he was in some kind of crisis. I mean, just life was overwhelming. He felt like things were crashing down in on him. And so he texted me to see if we could get together for coffee and if I had some kind of life advice for him. Now, if you've been praying for a non-Christian for any amount of time and you get one of these messages, I mean, you're like ecstatic, right? You're like, I don't have advice. You're texting back, but what I do have, I will share with you, you know? I don't have advice, but I have good news. You know, you've like got all the things are rushing to you at once. And so I'm so excited. I'm like, you know, I get the community group on the chat and I'm like, 9 a.m., I'm meeting with my guy, be praying, it's about to go down. You know, I'm like, fasting. I'm trying to get everything just right. And so we get together and we sit down and start sharing what's on his heart, just challenges of life that we all go through. And he's, he's kind of asking me what it is that I, I do to kind of help hold it all together. And man, I'm so ready for this moment. I'm like active listening, like, yes, mm, oh, tell me more about that. Like all the, all, everything I've learned is like for this moment, you know, it's such a rush when you're sitting in that moment and you're like, Man, the gospel's coming in like 15, 10, 5 minutes. It's like overwhelming. But he's asking me these questions, and I was like, man, it, it sounds like you, you have like all the, the spokes, but, 
nothing that holds it together. There's, there's no hub that holds all the spokes of your life together. I mean, cycling analogy with it right there too. It's like everything is ready. And so I ask him if I can share what it is that kind of holds my life together. What, what is at the center that makes sense of everything else? If I'm able to share God's love, I'm able to share what my life was like before I was walking closely with God, how he's changed me, what it what it's like to walk with God and to put Him first and to have Him at the center of my relationship. How God's grace is different than anything else that you see in the world or any other religion. It's totally unique. How Jesus' resurrection is real and how it changes absolutely everything. And then He changed the subject. You know, it's like it got right to it, got through it, sweating, you know. And, and my words were definitely not that clear either. Like if, if you haven't heard a preacher say this, I'll say it. It is much easier to preach to a church from a manuscript than it is to sit down with a non-church attending person and share the gospel. I mean, my words are all over the place, and I'm like, well, let me back up. And oh, did I mention the wages of sin or death? Like, I'm all over the place. But afterwards, he, he thanks me, and he's, he's like, well, let's keep talking. Let's do this again. We've got each other's number. We're back on the bikes a couple days later. And the relationship continues, and it's just sort of like, you know, one more brick in the foundation, one more step along the way. I was discouraged that we didn't get quite as far as I was hoping to, but I was encouraged that I didn't totally freeze up like I got through my part, you know. And then so encouraged that he wanted to keep talking. And this is often, often the case. You know, Billy Graham used to say that it takes about 20 gospel presentations before somebody really believes and has a chance to accept it. We don't know whether we're the first one or we're the 20th one. And so if we're the first one, we don't need to despair if nothing happens. And if we're the 20th one and, and we like close the deal, we still can't be prideful. But instead, we play our part. We, we plant and we water and then God brings the growth. God does what only He can do. But Romans 10 says this, How can they call on one in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone proclaiming to them? So our role is essential. Our proclamation, our announcement of the kingdom of God being here in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the healing of every aspect of our lives, it's all in Christ. We are the ones that proclaim that to our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors. The evangelism isn't complicated. You build a relationship. You take every opportunity to get you get to, to lead them to the Lord. I mean, you know, you probably won't even get an open door. You hear that phrase all the time, like, I'm waiting for an open door. Like, man, if the door is just not deadbolted shut, like, just try to get there. If you get a little opening, you're like a running back, and you just shoot the gap. I mean, you're ready to go. That should be our, our posture. It's not that complicated, but it is so... So difficult, isn't it? I mean, the rejection rate is, is super, super high. And we're talking about close friends or even family members. How can you share your faith and face the rejection that you probably will get? I have no doubt that it's the whole reason why at the end of the Great Commission, Jesus says, and lo, I will be with you always. You know, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, baptizing them and I will be with you always. I mean, apart from the presence of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit with us, I mean, we will collapse every single time. 
It's not complicated, but it is so difficult. For our church, I think there, there is a risk that we can believe all the right things and do all the right deeds, all the good deeds in the city, and yet fail to really, really share the hope that we have with other people. I know that's the biggest risk for me. But if we are worshipers, if we are truly growing in worship of the living God, we become witnesses. We're blessed so that we can be a blessing. Jesus' whole life was one continual evangelistic movement. He was proclaiming, he was doing, he was healing, but he did it all from his intimacy with the Father. He did it all from his rich prayer life, from complete dependence on the Holy Spirit. In our time and age, that personal wholeness and integrity is it's required for people to, to take us seriously and to, to view us as any different from the world. And yet we still must reach a point where we speak the words of the gospel. That God loves you and He's created you for Himself. In your sin, He lost you. In Christ, He comes to give you back. Jesus died for you, rose again on the third day, now gives you His Spirit to live as He lived, so that we might continue His ministry on earth. God has poured out His blessing on us, and now through us, He pours out His blessing on the whole world. Let's pray.